0: Good morning, Golden Corner Church, and good morning to all of you who have chosen to visit with us today. I'm so delighted that you have decided to make church a part of your Labor Day weekend plans. As a matter of fact, I am greatly encouraged by our attendance. I just stood back there a while ago wondering what are we going to do when everybody comes back from vacation and we all meet together on a Sunday. It's going to be interesting, and uh, if you're visiting with us for the first time, I want you to know that we're in a sermon series entitled, With a Little Help from My Friends. And here's what we've learned thus far. To become what God wants us to be, we will need a little help from our friends. And what does God want us to be? He wants every one of us to be close in our relationship with Him. Christ-like in our character and a difference maker in our world. And you write this down, to become that kind of person, it will require the Bible, prayer, faith, obedience, and it takes time, and lots of it. But there's another essential we can't overlook. We will never evolve into the people God wants us to be without the help of our friends. So here's what we're doing at Golden Corner Church on Sunday mornings. We're studying the Bible together, and we're trying to identify the kind of friends we need, but also the kind of friend we need to be. Last week learned that if we're going to become what God wants us to be, we need friends who are honest. If need be, painfully honest. Friends who will speak the truth to us in love. What other kind of friends do we need? Well, we're going to go back to the Bible this morning and identify another type of friend that must be in our little circle, in our network. In just a few minutes, we're going to read a few verses from the Old Testament book of Exodus, chapter 17. But before we do, let me set the stage and tell you what's happening, okay? Now, these are a lot of details, a lot of facts, a lot of background. So I want to encourage you to do something right now. Whisper a little prayer in your mind and say, God, help me get this. Help me hang in here and and help me get this, okay? God was working. His objective was to give the Israelites a land they could call their own. To pull this off was going to require three steps on God's part. Step number one, he had to set the Israelites free because they were being held in captivity by the Egyptians. That's the first thing he had to do. Step two, he had to lead the Israelites through a harsh wilderness. You see, in between the land of Egypt and Israel's new home was this vast desert. So God had to do that. Third thing God had to do was help the Israelites conquer uh, the people who were currently living in the land that he had given them. And these were fierce, warlike people, many whom lived in fortified cities. Accomplishing this mission was going to require exceptional leadership. So God chose prepared and called an exceptional leader, a man named Moses. With the help of God, Moses led the Israelites to take the first two steps. He led them out of Egyptian bondage. He successfully led them through the wilderness. Now, just as the Israelites are poised to take the third step, something absolutely unthinkable happens. Moses died. Moses died. So the Israelites found themselves in dire need of a new leader. Now, where in the world do you find someone who can step in and take Moses' place? I mean, those were awful big shoes to fill. The Bible itself even says there was never a prophet like him. He was something special. Where do you find a guy to step in and take his place? I think in some ways this new leader needed to be a lot like Moses. They would have to be a person of integrity. A person of faith. A person with a vital, real relationship with God. Wouldn't it be great if this new person was already somebody the Israelites knew and trusted? But I also believe that in some ways the new leader needed to be a little bit different from Moses. The new leader needed to be a proven military leader, and tactician. You say, why would that be? Because the next step for Israel involved war and lots of it. To conquer the people of the land meant they were going to be engaged in one battle after another after another. So, where do you find a person like that? Uh, Believe it or not, the next leader was right under their nose. He happened to be an obvious choice, an easy choice. There was a guy there who was ready, standing on ready to just step right in and and take over from Moses. He had all the qualifications they were looking for, all the skills they were looking for. And you say, who was this man? His name was Joshua. What a stroke of luck for Israel, right? Oh, luck had nothing to do with it. You see, God knew Moses was going to die. And he knew when he was going to die. And he knew that to enter this land he was giving them, to conquer it, to divide it up and settle it, they were going to have to have a new leader to lead them in this. And so he chose and prepared a guy named Joshua. God had a plan for Joshua's life. He wanted Joshua to become a leader, and he became a leader. And how did he do that? To become what God wanted him to be, Joshua needed a little help from a friend. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Sometime after Moses became the leader of Israel, there was a young man who became his assistant, and the young man's name was Joshua. Now, I don't know all that his responsibilities entailed, but I'm going to guess it was some pretty boring, mundane stuff. I mean, maybe he you know, dropped off Moses' wash at the cleaners. Maybe he picked up his prescriptions for him, returned a few phone calls, scheduled some meetings. Just, I imagine it was kind of boring, bland, mundane stuff. But I do know there came a point... For Joshua's responsibilities changed radically. As Moses is leading the Israelites through the wilderness, they're facing a lot of challenges. It's not an easy deal. The harsh climate, the difficult terrain, trying to move an entire nation through the desert, it was quite challenging. And then there came this day where all of a sudden this group of nomadic people called Amalekites decided to just pick a fight with the Israelites. And they attacked them. Now, the, these, these Amalekites, they were born and bred. Born and bred to fight, kill, and steal. I mean, it was passed on from generation to generation. That was taught to them. It's all these people had ever known. However, on the other hand, the Israelites had never been in a fight. There wasn't a man in the group nor a woman who had ever seen or ever had any experience in combat. They've been slaves for 400 years. And all of a sudden you've got this group of people who are good at this. And they've jumped on them. Now as Moses, what do you do? I'll tell you what he did. He turned to his assistant Joshua. And he said, I got a job for you. I want you to turn the men of Israel into an army. That's what I want you to do. And he gave him a time frame. Here's the time time we're looking at here. I want you to have this done by morning. Have you ever thought about this? You're going to turn these men into an army, and I want you to have this done by morning. He gave him one evening to choose, train, and outfit a bunch of greenhorns and transform them into a well-oiled fighting machine. That's not too much to ask, is it? Especially when you consider the fact that Joshua had never done anything like this before. So here's old Joshua. He's about to put his life on the line. And a lot of other lives on the line. Doing something he's never done. Perhaps he never saw himself doing. Of course, I know it had to bring him comfort to know that when he got down on the battlefield, oh, Moses is going to be right there with him, drone, sword, you know, watching his back, fighting with all of his heart. Uh, well, not really, because Moses informed him, I'm not going down on the battlefield with you tomorrow. You're going to be on, you're on your own. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for you. Uh, how does that sound to you? Now, uh, To me, that, that sounds a little cowardly at first. Yeah, there's going to be bloodshed tomorrow. There are people down there, and they know how to fight. They know how to kill, and I know this is new to you, and I'm sending you down there. But hey, dude, I'll be up here praying. It wasn't cowardly. You know what Moses knew? The boy can't win. The boy won't win. Without the help of God. There's no way he survives this unless God steps in and helps him tomorrow on that battlefield. So I'm making a commitment that I'm going to pray for my young friend. That's what I'm going to do. And how did things work out? Let's read three verses together. Joshua 17. Verse number 10. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and he fought the army of Amalek. I'll be honest with you, Ray. You know, I'm the guy that just takes care of things, and all of a sudden the boss looks at me and says, hey, tomorrow, you're gonna go to, I gotta, we're going to negotiate. I, I'm going to negotiate hard. Joshua didn't. He just did it. He did, what, he did what Moses commanded. He went down and he fought the Amalekites. Meanwhile, Moses, a guy named Aaron and another guy named Hur climbed up on top of the nearby hill. Where, why were they going there? Listen, they weren't running for cover. They weren't looking for higher ground. They were just looking for a vantage point. And a private place where they could pray. That's what they're doing. Look at verse number 11. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hands, the Amalekites gained the advantage. And what does it mean, hold up the staff? This is what, it's it's, it's, it's symbolic of prayer. And this is what Moses was essentially saying through his posture. He's holding that staff up and he is saying, God, here I am. I want you to use me kind of like a conduit. Of your power. I want you to pour your power into me. And I want you to pour your power through me into those troops. But especially into my friend Joshua. That's what I'm asking. Look at verse number 13. Excuse me, let's just keep reading verse 12. I didn't finish that, did I? Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up so Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on then they stood on each side of Moses holding up his hands so his hands held steady into sunset prayed all day prayed all day with a little help from two friends he prayed all day verse number 13 as a result That's, those are key words you saw them didn't you on the screen as a result a result of what? Fighting, skill, ingenuity, superior weapons, all out effort, as a result of what? As a result of praying. As a result of prayer. Because somebody prayed. Look what happened. Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. Joshua survived the battle. He not only survived it, he won it in convincing fashion. And what was the key to his success? Joshua had a good friend who was praying for him. So what do we learn here? I think it's pretty obvious, don't you? To become what God wants us to be, we need friends who pray. And maybe to be more specific, we need friends who pray for us. You know, in hindsight, you and I see the war with the Amalekites for what it was. It was not a poorly timed coincidence. It wasn't just insult to injury. It was a strategic step in God's plan to develop Joshua into what he wanted him to be. For Joshua to become a skilled military leader, commander, leader of a nation, he needed some experience. In particular, he needed experience in combat and experience in leadership. The skirmish with the Amalekites was just the opportunity that God had been waiting on. Listen to me. Remember now, we're learning what kind of friends we need and what kind of friend we need to be. Don't, 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 don't cut out on me now. I want you to listen. You know, in a sense, God took Joshua to the deep end of the pool and just threw him in. This attack would prove to be a necessary, necessary step in Joshua becoming what God wanted him to be. From this experience, Joshua could learn and grow. Did you know when it was over with, God spoke to Moses and said, there are some things you need to write down and make sure that Joshua gets out of this? There are lessons that he's got to learn that he can never forget. From this experience, Joshua could learn and grow. But to learn and grow, he had to win and survive. What good are the lessons if you leave the battlefield in a body bag? He had to win and survive. And what did Joshua need to win and survive? He needed a little help from a friend. To become what God wanted him to be, Joshua needed a friend who prayed, and so do we. Why, you ask Ronnie? God has a process. Man, make sure you get this? God has a process. He takes all of us through in order to help us become the person he wants us to be. It's the same process he took Joshua through. In order to train us and grow us up, God will give us powerful enemies. Does that encourage you? Is that worth really, getting out of bed for? Man, we got some good news at church this morning. God's going to make sure that we have powerful enemies in our lives. He'll do it. He didn't cream the Amalekites and prevent them from attacking. He didn't cream them to prevent the war from coming the next day, did he? In the path of God's leading, there were enemies waiting who rose up against them. In this process that God's going to take you through it, you through it, me through it, you through it, and you, in this process... God will make sure that we have powerful enemies. And that we are given unsolvable problems. God's going to lead us right into unwinnable battles. Are you feeling more and more encouraged now with this good news? God is going to call us and give us tasks that are impossible for us to do. He's going to call us to do things we would have never done and never would have really considered doing. I'm kind of unraveling a current church philosophy. You know what the church of the 21st century believes? You know how we find the will of God? And how we can tell God doesn't want me to do this, God wants me to do this? This is what we believe. If it would be difficult for me to do, God doesn't want me to do that. If there's a cost involved, then God wouldn't be calling me to it. If it scares me, that couldn't be God. If I've never done this before, well, that couldn't be God. If I would never choose to do this, that can't be God. If that takes me out of my comfort zone, I know God's not calling me to do that. Do you understand? God constantly calls us out of our comfort zone. God constantly calls us to do things we've never done, things we would never consider doing. That's just the way he works. That's his process. God will place us in situations that are risky, frightening, and extraordinarily stressful. To press us into a mold that He has designed for us. To make us into the men and women that He wants us to be. To learn and grow from these experiences. We've got to survive these experiences. Now, it's highly unlikely that anybody's going to kill us, cut our head off. But it is very likely that in these situations, we will give up. And if we give up, we never become what God had in mind for us to be. So what do we need? We need friends who pray. We need friends who will pray for us until we have won our battles. That's what we need. I took my first position at a church in 1986. I was hired to be the part-time associate pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Salem. The senior pastor of the church was David Hardin. His son Ryan and Ryan's family attend this church. David was my boss. Now, up until that point, I had never done anything but prepare and preach sermons. That's all I, that's really, I didn't know there was much more to church than that. Just prepare and preach sermons. And when I was hired, David was clear with me, that's most of what we want you to do. But However, there will be other things at other times that I'll need you to do. I'm like, got it. So one day there was a man in our community that committed suicide. Uh, From all outward indication, he was an unsaved man. I'm not the judge, I don't know that, but you heard the way I said it. From all outward indication, he was an unsaved man. He took his own life this family didn't attend our church, but they contacted the church and asked David if he would do the funeral and could he get somebody to help him do the funeral. So David came to me and said, "Uh, I want you to help me with this funeral. I'd never done a funeral. And I thought about the circumstances of his funeral. And you know what I said to David? Uh, Man, I've never done that. I've never done a funeral. And and I just don't see that this would be the right funeral for me to start with. I I can't do that. I, I can't do this. You know what David said? You know what David said to me? He said, oh, you'll do all right. (laughs) He wouldn't listen to raising, man. I'm trying to tell him, no, you don't understand. I've never done this. I can't do that. Man, are you hearing me? He's like, oh, you'll do all right. We had, uh, it, was, it was a typical Baptist church. We had deacons and people got to nominate deacons. So you'd end up with this big group that you had to interview. And You can only pick like one or two. You didn't have a whole lot of openings. And so somebody had to go back to the guys who weren't chosen and they had to tell them, You weren't chosen to be a deacon. And they always asked the same question, Why wasn't I chosen to be a deacon? You had to tell them what it was about the interview that they, they wouldn't allow them to be a deacon. And, you, and so we went through this process and I sat down in the meetings and everything was cool until David looked at me and said, Hey, there are three guys that weren't chosen. I want you to go tell them they weren't chosen and tell them why. And I'm like, David! Well, I've never done anything like that. Man, I can't do that. They're going to get mad at me. He said, going me tell you what he said. Oh, you'll do all right. He came me one day, he said, you know what? This church needs-, needs a constitution bylaws. He said, I want you to put together a group and I want you to write one. I said, David, I don't even know what a constitution bylaws is. What is that? He said, he gave me the gist and he said, you can put your team together and go write it. I said, I can't do that, David. You know what he said? Yeah. You'll do all right. It was just something like that constantly. I look back and I understand what's happening. God was using David to throw me in the deep end of the pool. David never sweated over it. I know why now. Because every time David would throw me in the deep end, I know what he was doing. He's praying for me. I did all those things. And I know how I did them. Because I had a good friend praying for me that God would help me do them. And in about 18 months, David resigned and left. And the leadership of the church turned to me and said, We need a new pastor. And we think you're ready. God had a plan. me, And in that plan he placed a friend who was willing to pray for me in every battle I faced until I won. I got a question for you. Who is the friend in your world who prays for you the way Moses prayed for Joshua? Who is the friend or who are the friends that pray for you the way Moses prayed for Joshua? Maybe we need to look at the way Moses did pray for Joshua. He prayed specifically. It wasn't a very it wasn't very generic. Moses was praying for a specific person. Who is the friend in your world that has targeted you? I mean, they've got you in their headlights. And they watch you. And they care about you. And they pray for you. When they pray, they're calling your name. Moses not only prayed for a specific person, he prayed specific request. It was not generic. Bless him, God. He was praying specifically. You enable him to overcome those Amalekites and survive this? Who is it that when they're calling your name out in prayer, knows you well enough to know what you're facing and what you need, and they're talking to God about those very specific things? And, and listen to me, as important as it is to pray for our family members and our family members pray for us, I'm asking you a different question this morning. Who is the friend in your circle who prays for you that way? Moses would not let up praying until Joshua was safely off the battlefield. Who is it that keeps you in their prayers day after day, week after week? And you know, I got a friend that prays for me this way, Ronnie. Because if you can't, if you, I mean, if, if they're not coming to your mind right now, I, I don't know, man. I don't know if I got, I'm going to make two suggestions. Number one, uh, it may be time to talk to your Friends. And say, I need something from you that I may not have ever shared with you. I need you to pray for me. And I need you to pray for me regularly. And maybe it's time to, maybe if they haven't seen the battle that you're facing, you point it out to them. Here's what I'm up against. Here's what I'm facing. And I need you, I need to know that you're up on that hill, holding up your hands to God for me day after day, week after week. Maybe it's time to tell your friends that. And some of you are thinking this uh, you don't know my friends. Ronnie, I don't even know if they pray, period. And it'd be really weird for me to sit down and start talking to them about praying for me. Well, if that's you, then I'm going to make another suggestion. Maybe you need to add some new friends to your circle of friends. I'm not asking that you terminate any relationship, cut anybody off. But if you don't have friends that you can talk to about praying for you, friends that you know that if you told them, I really need your prayers would pray, you might need to ask some new friends to your circle of friends. And I want to make a suggestion. You say, how would I do that? I'm going to throw this out there for your consideration. This is not a promotional message. This is a sermon. Okay, you got it? Maybe you need to join a life group and go to church. You know know what they are? They're just small circles of people who get together on a regular basis. You know the purpose of a life group? Those people come together so that they can help each other. This is the goal. Help each other become what God wants us to be. We're going to help each other do that. And it is my goal, my intent, my purpose. I know that Scott Lee shares this, Tim McCall shares this, the rest of the staff, the trustees. This is what we want from our life groups. We want those life groups to be circles of friends who pray for each other the way Moses prayed for Joshua. That's what we want. And so you've seen the sign-ups out in front of each door. And I'm not telling you you got to do this. I'm telling you what, if you need some friends who pray, it might be time for you to really open up your heart to that. We're going to be signing up a few more Sundays. It's not, hey, commit today or the deal's off the table. Maybe you need to add some friends to your circle. I got another question for you, though. Who is the friend that you pray for the way Moses prayed for Joshua? Who is it that's down on the battlefield in the battle of their life who's expecting you to be up on the hill? Calling out their name. Talking to God about. Their situation. Until they win. Who is the friend that you pray for that way? Because there's somebody in your world. Counting on you to do that. I mean they're counting on you. They are will not survive without your prayers. They don't walk out of this without your prayers. They are counting on you. Who is that friend? You relentlessly pray for them. I want to give you some homework, okay? Does that excite you? Got two right here gonna do the homework. Rest of you, I don't know what. Uh, Let me say this. Let me commend you. I gave you homework in the in the first sermon. Man, you guys shined. You did great. Wonderful. You're gonna do great on this. Homework. There's somebody in your world that's in the fight of their life. There's a friend in your network of friends. I don't know what the battle is about. It may, they may be going through a t- terrible divorce. It may be physical illness. It may be depression or panic attacks. It could be financial. It could be some kind of incredible family strife. I don't know what it is. You know what it is. And you know who they are. Your homework is to make a commitment this morning. That you're going to pray for them every day next week. Every day. First thing you're going to do when you wake up is pray for them. You pay it because I'm giving you homework, right? First thing, when you wake, first thing, you're going to pray for them. last thing you do before you go to sleep, you're going to pray for them. Throughout the course of the day, every time they come to your mind, you're going to to do this for an entire week. How many are you willing to do that? Would you raise your hand? How many are willing to do that? That's step one. Step two is, you're going to let them know you're praying for them. You're going to let them know soon. I mean, early in the week. You say, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, what good is that? Well, Moses told Joshua. Why would you think he would do that? It was encouraging to Joshua. It gave him courage. It gave him strength. It gave him hope to know that I got a friend on that mountain who will not stop praying for me. And there is somebody in your circle who needs, to, who need, who needs your prayers but needs to know that you're praying for them. I want to ask you something. Let them know. And if you already know who that person is, let them know today. Let them know this. This week, I got your back. This week, a day won't pass that I haven't taken your name and your need and situation before the throne of God. Will you do that? This is what I'm encouraging everyone to do. This week, we're going to be the kind of friend who helps a friend become everything God wants them to be. Let's pray together. Father, I just think the first thing we need to do is thank you. Because we've all made it through some stuff. And in hindsight, we know how. We have people who prayed us right through it. We have friends who prayed us right through it. Thank you for them. But help us, Lord, take a really, really close look at our circle of friends. Do we have friends there who pray and who will pray for us and pray specifically and persistently? God, if they're not there, we can't identify them. Then show us what our move is and help us take it. And, and Lord, help us look at ourselves. Are we the kind of friend? The praise for our friends the way we should? There again, Lord, if we' if we're honestly concluding no, I'm not us change and you help us become the kind of friend we need to be give us the friends we need help us become the friend we need to be in the name of jesus we ask it together amen thank you for coming i I just hope you have a great labor day monday you're dismissed